0: This podcast was recorded at the Richmond Library on Aboriginal land, the unceded, stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. It also discusses events that occurred on the stolen and unceded lands of the Wulia people. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. Welcome to In Those Days, where we talk about yesterday's news today. My name's Penny Tangy and my co-host is Christine Adams. We use the National Library of Australia's digitised newspapers in Trove to explore history with a guest. This episode was recorded at the Richmond Library Makerspace as part of their Artist-in-Residence program. So thanks to Yarra Council and the staff of Richmond Library for their support. In this episode, we're going to be talking to Damien Callinan, who is the star of Stage and Screen, about the Globe Picture Theatre in Richmond, which was on the site of the current Richmond Library. And towards the end of the episode, we're going on a big tangent, and I'm going to have a chat with my friend Tim Carruthers about some old sheep music which he's brought to life that we found in Trove. Damien Callinan is a very funny man. He has a show coming up in the Melbourne Comedy Festival called Unlikely Friends. It's on at 3pm, Saturdays and Sundays at Comedy Republic from the 30th of March to the 21st of April. I consider that to be a very convenient time and it will be a very funny show. So give yourself a treat. We are very lucky to have here today Damien Cullinan, a star of stage and screen. He's also an author. He's a comedie man. That's like a comedian that's a man. Mm. Um, people might not have heard of that
1: before. It's
2: good to unpack that. And he's one of the funniest people I've ever met.
1: Oh, that's Welcome. nice.
2: Welcome, and you know, thanks for having me. Yay, Damien. Exciting times. Yeah,
1: it's like getting an old band back together. <laughs> yep. Yeah.
2: Here we are. Well, you and Christina have travelled together. We have. Yeah, yeah we
1: did. Roadshow South Australia, yeah. probably other places too.
2: Mainly that. <laughs> Mainly that.
1: Yeah, we were. <laughs> Rat masks, headpieces in. I remember Damien
2: over-committed to a character (laughs) in an op shop. The first question
0: I always ask people is, uh, do you use Trove much?
1: Uh, On occasion.
0: Okay, that's weird. Not every day.
1: (laughs) Yeah, look, I I used it a little bit in the research for my show Double Feature, which is based on my mum's 1946 diary written in Melbourne. And my brother uses a lot. He's our kind of family historian. He did a lot of the research for that show. So Mm -hmm. just finding things like mum might reference a particular theatre. The Children of Mary was (laughs) another constant reference in the diary (laughs) that neither of us had any inkling about. So I don't think Trove was particularly helpful, but we did find uh, evidence. It It was a kind of a youth, female youth movement Mm, uh, where they would wear weird little wedding dresses and a blue cloak cultish. and a veil over the top. And didn't according to my, my Aunt Margaret, who was a president, so was mum, both high achievers in the world mm. of youth cults, as it wow. turns out. And they didn't do much. She just said, we just kind of sat there and occasionally sang hymns. And at the end she just went, you know what, Damien, we were useless. Because <laughs> I do talk about that in the show a lot and I – Ask the audience when I get to that part of the show if there's members of the audience and hearing their different stories. It's pretty – and they constantly contradict me because I've written up. So look, to be honest, some of, my, some of my brother's research I abused. Yeah. You know, I said things like to be a member of the Children of Mary, you had to be a single Catholic female, you had to promise to marry a Catholic and you had to participate in the blood sacrifice <laughs> of the weakest altar boy on Good Friday. Yeah.
2: Well, and they reasonable.
1: dispute that, some of them. Yeah. But, you know, blood on their hands, not mine. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, this is true. <laughs> I'm going off on a weird tangent here, but I was doing the show recently. I was doing it at a corporate event. Seems unusual, but it was um they're, uh, it's called the Elders' Rights Advocacy Group. Well, weirdly, they just asked me to be a keynote speaker, and I went, oh, well, I could just do this show because I think it fits in because there's this storyline in it of my parents in a retirement village and what happens in the ageing process mm. and with the tragedy that ended up killing mum. So I kind of went, look, let's do that. Um, anyway... <laughs> Because they're a very evidence-based group, I think. Uh, and they were really into it. No, but they were very interactive. Um, and I got to the bit about the children of Mary and the altar boys, and then later on there's a voiceover of mum's voice is through it, not an actor playing her, but, and it said, Good Friday, another altar boy went missing. <laughs> That Colin O'Toole was faster than he looked. Yeah. <laughs> and then I pretty much just move on from there and there's a kind of, it's actually a big shift in the show because I'm about to introduce Dad's diary from yeah. his retirement diaries, which is the, why it's called Double Feature. It's based on their two diaries. Anyway, before I could really move on, this woman said, I'm sorry, are we not going to address the fact that yet another old <laughs> boy's gone? <laughs> another, and another person and said, yes, that's two now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I said, what do you want me to do? Like. It's too late. Like, it's a, as far as cold cases,
2: Yeah, they're, yeah. They're gone it's they're going back on in six,
1: time. And, you know, and I'm not, to be honest, I'm not going to waste time trying <laughs> to track down a fictional altar boy.
2: <laughs> I love anyway, it.
1: I do. It's one of the most specific heckles I've ever gotten.
0: <laughs> so the episodes that we're doing now, they're all focused on Richmond, the suburb. So do you have, what's your history in Richmond?
1: Well, I only discovered today, uh, my father moved around a lot when he was young, his family lived in Clitson Hill, they lived in Moreland, they lived in uh, Northgate at the time that he met mum. But I discovered today he was born in Richmond. Oh. Yeah. This was nineteen twenty And Catholics, that makes sense. Big, yeah.
0: Big Catholic Richmond. area.
1: Yeah. We're not positive whether it was in a home. We don't know what address. I don't I don't have any knowledge that his parents lived in Richmond. So we assume it was probably at Bethesda. Hospital. That would make
0: sense, yeah. Um,
1: otherwise it would have been, I think they were li- living in Clifton Hill around that time. But So that's pretty cool. And I also discovered that, um, so I'm a Eureka descendant. So my great-grandfather and his three brothers fought on the side of the miners. The fighting calendars of Eureka, my cousin <laughs> Lee wrote the short history, which I adapted into a show for the 150th anniversary. Oh,
0: wow. I didn't see that one.
1: Called Eureka Stock Take. One of those, probably the most famous of the four was Michael He was the eldest He sadly died about 10 years later in a horrific mining accident But apparently his funeral was so big It kind of, there were thousands of people marching up the streets of Ballarat Wow I think it was probably his son or nephew used to own the Prince of Wales on Church Street There's
2: pub
0: owners in Richmond as well Yeah Now I remember you doing a show in Richmond as well
1: Yes. In a venue
0: that Christina and I also once Ooh. did a show in, yes.
1: I think I saw the show, and
0: it was not a traditional venue. Far from no. well, it had been converted into a venue. It was a it was a three story terrace, and yeah. it was called the Owl and the Cat.
1: Owl and the Pussycat, Pussycat yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's
0: right. Um, and what was your experience like <laughs> at
1: performing? Um, well, we, I did. I was actually already talking about this last night. We did it because we we had a regional Victoria tour about to happen, so I did some warm up shows. Mm. Uh it was a weird place to do warrant shows because the the it's the tiny. I think it's close to the tiniest venue I've ever done. Like yeah,
0: yet. so it was basically that he converted the was it the second floor bedroom yeah, basically into a, a theater. Yeah, yeah some
1: bedrooms in, in Victorian era homes were tiny, and there was no augmentation. It was not really. What the was stage was, that? was kind was of like a stage? recess, and it was because I have odd. quick changes in it, so we had to. Mm. Cause Zilla, my wife was taking it. She was reminding me last night that we kind of, you know, like your, those triangular changing areas that you see like at a market?
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Like that was how big it was. And I'd have to like do full physical changes in this area, about half, like a diagonal part of a phone booth. Yeah. And it <laughs> yeah. was a little kind of raised area kind of up to the side. And so I'd ha- normally I'd have like a stump. So I just had a stool just up <laughs> up in the corner. and I remember the... I did. I think I did a couple of nights and um, one night there was a whole bunch of my mates who I kicked the footy with or sit in the front row, a lot of whom very rarely go to the mm. theatre. Uh, and I was performing right on top of them. <laughs> just, you know, my balls hanging <laughs> over, over their laps in <laughs> footy shorts. Yep. And they used to see me in footy gear. Just not and, at that angle. And I remember uh, Jimmy Jimmy New, as he's called, because Jimmy Old was there. He Jimmy New said to me afterwards, he said, Jesus, I was good. But I was freaked out because I could physically feel you transforming into other characters. Like, <laughs> it almost felt like it was happening in my body.
2: What the hell?
1: <laughs> <laughs> then, when you turned into that like nine year old kid, and I was just going, it's Domo, but he's nine. <laughs> and I believe that he's nine. It was doing my head in. <laughs>
0: That's a powerful performance. So that was the merger, wasn't it?
1: That was the merger, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So that's an experience of a theatre that we've had in Richmond, a Mm. converted theatre. Now, what I really want to talk about today, though, is where we are now and what it used to be. The library. So we are in the Richmond Library, but this library was built in the 1970s. And before that, there was the Globe Picture Theatre here, which showed silent films, and it was built in 1912. You are a star of... Green as well, Mm. stage. Yeah. And you've made your own film, Mm. adapting your stage show, The Merger. He did all of the things. And (laughs) I have heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, that making films is very hard because it costs a lot of money.
1: Uh, The Merger evolved as a film not through any original intent on my part, but the f- play itself is quite cinematic in structure. There's a, a young boy making a documentary about the football club. Th- for those who don't know, the merger of the story is a, of a small, struggling country town football club that look like they'll either have to merge with uh, one of the clubs in the other league, or they'll just fold. And rather than that, the prodigal son football coach, uh, Troy Carrington recruits refugees. That's the basic setup. But it, in the play, Neil, the little boy character, was making a docco, and so I found almost. And immediate... you played all the characters, yeah.
0: Which, not... in a way, was hard harder than in a film. You can get other people <laughs> I could to get do other
1: bits to do it. Yeah, uh, well, easier to organise rehearsals. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's how it started, and people would say to me almost from the very first night I did the show, I had someone come and say that should be a film, and that refrain mm. just kept repeating, and eventually a couple of people said. Uh, it should be a film and I'll help you. Gavin Baskerville was the first one who said that and we kind of knocked around a yeah. first, oh, nice. first draft. And then when I made another feature film called Backyard Ashes with Mark Grentel who co-wrote and directed it, he came into the live show and said, well, let's work together. So, yeah, that's that's how it started. So it um, wasn't a particular drive of mine to make films it is now I I love the process Mm. so much
0: so you haven't always thought in the back of your mind oh I wish I could make films but no
1: not really I sort of stumbled into it yeah Mm. and most things like that my my career is largely unplanned (laughs) (laughs) I just like doing the things I like and drawn to good stories and did you study acting at all not formally I did uh, I was a primary school teacher and I went back and did a graduate in performing arts. Oh, okay. Which made I thought you were just cool. going to
2: say yeah, I was a primary <laughs> teacher. school teacher as though well. that
0: was yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, had to, I had to,
2: to keep the kids focused somehow. <laughs> a
1: little bit. So, yeah, I became a drama teacher mm. and in the process that got me acting and performing and did everything from improv to mask theatre to forum theatre, all sorts of stuff, and eventually stand-up, which kind of brought me back full circle, doing mm-hmm. stand-up and then got a winning competition, really, I could just get up on stage and make up characters and create my own work. So there was no real plan. But now if I have a place, I would love to continue. And I am writing both uh, a film version of Double Feature and mm-hmm. I'm writing a comedy oh, drama excellent. series. Yeah, I really really enjoyed it. I look at, like any process, you don't know how hard it is until you do it. Yeah, I don't yeah. really want to go down the independent path, Mm-mm. completely independent path again because it took five years. So, yeah, it's um, it's a very difficult process. It's it's a kind of a flawed system to... That the creators of films, particularly independent films, are the ones who don't make the money. Mm. So our film's been on Netflix for three years, uh, and it's gone spectacularly well on there. To our knowledge, in, yeah, it's constantly trending, and it's been on Netflix for three years, which is an achievement in itself. I haven't got a single cent.
0: Ever. You're joking? Mm. A, are we going on crazy? strike? What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> Let me know. Yeah. Let me know. So what yeah, I, can do. I
1: mean it's 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 our you know it's a puzzle it's a puzzle to work through as a creative, how do you mm. get your f- work made and then mm. how do you make money out of it?
0: You've done so many different things over such a long time. I guess mm. that's because you've done lots of different things and started things without knowing how long they were going to take. Gonna take and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Blind leaps of faith.
1: A little bit. <laughs> yeah, but well, that's all right.
0: Iron's in the fire. That's what I say. It's nice to have an iron in the fire.
1: Yeah, it's better than not.
0: Yeah. Because yeah. you never know. Something, you might just be about to get a, a nice yeah. email or a good phone call yeah. or
1: something. It's funny when you make a film like The Merger, which has been, you know, really successful and it's well, reasonably well known. There's a lot of people that don't know about it and that's fine. We're we getting to, to them. them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you'll still, like I had my hairdresser said to her the other day, she goes, geez, I love The Merger. Jeez, it just made me laugh so hard. Why haven't you done anything since? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You slack ass. Because it's such a public thing that people yeah. like, they don't know since then that I've written two solo shows, I've written a play, yeah. I've written book. a book. Yeah, um, you're
2: multimodal. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but it did make me go, oh, I just – but people keep asking, so –
0: It's like you could go, oh, I love my last haircut. Why haven't you cut anyone else's hair yeah, since? Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You're you listening, Marita? Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> no, because it's not a film.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's not going
0: to be listening.
1: I can <laughs> almost oh, to guarantee podcast. it. Whatever.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I might kick on with this um, article from the Richmond Guardian, which is a great source for us because it it's was a local Richmond. rag. It's Richmond. And this is from Saturday the 13th of April 1912. Globe Theatre, auspicious opening. Fine show pleases large audiences. The new Globe Theatre was officially opened on Thursday evening, April 4th, a representative gathering of citizens being present to honour the occasion. (laughs) It's good to have a representative gathering. (laughs) Mm. Admiration was expressed on all sides at the (laughs) splendid interior and handsome appointments. The opinion was freely expressed that the new theatre would compare more than favourably with any other playhouse of its kind in the state or the world. This was actually the third picture theatre to open in Richmond in like a year. Yeah, right. So they were just kind of exploding. Congratulations were freely bestowed on the directors and shareholders of the Richmond Theatre <laughs> Propriety Limited in the possession of such a fine property. Mr E.J. Cotter, MLA, declared the new building open and while complimenting the proprietors on their enterprise, expressed an opinion that the popularity of animated pictures for the entertainment and education of the people would continue. The people. Huzzah! It's so quiet. he was right. At least he wasn't like, this won't last. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. So these would have been, these are obviously silent films. Do you yeah. like silent films?
1: Yeah. Do you? Yeah, I like, I'm a, I like, yeah, Buster Keaton.
0: I have not I seen, like I Brian. have to say, I have not seen many. I've mainly seen parodies of them.
1: The, I've seen a couple of live. Oh, it'd be, to be fun. They're well, still technically, just called the Bluegrassy Knoll Bluegrass Band, but they do soundtracks to silent films. So they did like The General, which is a Buster Keaton film. And it's so great hearing a band. Really brings it to life.
0: Yeah, because yeah, because it wasn't just. It's not like they just hit play like they do today. Yeah, it was <laughs> live elements yeah. of it as
1: well. Yeah, so the much. Music so and much, and but there's so much that went into making just single jokes. Like yeah. spend days creating a single joke. The the craft and skill that, that all of those people came together. It's one of the things I've learnt the most about filmmaking is how collaborative it is. Particularly having gone from a soul, literally me playing every character in the world of Bodger Creek in the merger play to turning up on set the first day and there's approximately 100 people making your story come how, alive. Yeah.
0: And how do you go with that? Do you feel like that means there's a loss of control? No,
1: not no. at all. No. It's, you're, you're
0: the freaking boss.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, but people, like you, you acquire a team around you, so you have to have faith. There's only one time I can think of in that whole process where there was someone I kind of took the eye off and that person had not been had not worked hard enough to achieve right the thing and it was and they know who they are. it was no. potentially it was potentially quite disastrous Ooh. like as far as this is the day we're shooting this and you don't have the right things and, right yeah yeah but that was that was a complete outlier and that person got better <laughs> yeah <laughs> but generally speaking it's the opposite it's people going oh my god you're you're doing things i hadn't even thought of like production designers thinking about the colour palette of the story from the start to the end and the changing in the story arc. and Wow. Yeah. But in the in sense of the silent films, everything came down to what you could see on the screen. So the set builders, the stunt performers, all of those people conspired to make a single moment with without the trickery that we have today as far as... CGI or... Yeah, it was very different technically. (laughs) Somewhat.
0: Christina, do you like old films? You're allowed to say no, I think they're I do like old films. Um, But what about silent films?
2: Well, I guess I always think of the archetypal like, you know, someone tied to the train track. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Silent film. (laughs) I know I studied cinema studies at uni and we did go back over a lot of those old silent films and then also looking at the impact of when sound is brought in and what, you know, how that impacts on, on you as a viewer and, and what that creates. Yeah, so I do really like old films. That was a roundabout oh. way of saying that.
1: The thing I discovered in reading My Mum's Diary was how important film was.
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, she had talkie talk. Yeah, absolutely. She was, yeah,
1: so by 46, yeah. I, mean, I
0: 46. love that era.
1: Yeah. But she was seeing kind of up to six films a week because you'd always see a double feature. Sometimes mm. on the weekend they'd see yeah. like a double-double feature and she would write about them and it very much flavoured the diary
2: Yes, so, mm, it would I have
1: put together a visual version of the diary for my family and i got the film posters for every film that she mentioned and a photograph of every theater that she went to some of which don't exist so it completely changed the reading of the diary when you saw it with all the visuals because mm, you absolutely. had the context
0: this article continues so this is ej Cotter mla he says he attributed the large audiences which patronised such pleasing shows not only to the great progress that had been made in the cinematographic art. which <laughs> Thank you, I tried hard. And the production of increasingly interesting films. Now, do, you, do we think that films are becoming increasingly interesting or decreasingly interesting? How's the trend? Mixed,
2: I feel. Yeah.
0: It's hard to these days. Probably in those days because there weren't as many, you could just track it on one line. Yeah. Are films increasing in, mm. in interestingliness or, or is it going down?
1: Oh, uh, I think.
0: Because I think some of the first films really weren't very interesting and then they were not. able to yeah. do more.
1: Oh, look, you'd have to say it is increasingly interesting, but there's still a lot of not interesting films being made. True. But techniques and uh, I guess what the conflict is in, does the technology overtake the storytelling? That's probably the challenge. But yeah. there's still incredibly beautiful, just plain mm-hmm. stories being made. Best probably the best film I've seen this year. or Close to was Christmas just came out. You know, it's a very it's an Australian Christmas film, but it it's about a an actor who is, he comes out of rehab just before Christmas and his world's completely imploded. You know, his his agent's not returning his calls. He's estranged from his family, and he moves into a halfway house, and that's the kind of setup. And the victories are very small through it, so mm. it's not like a huge redemption at Christmas. Yeah. Uh, Heath Davis is the filmmaker. One hundred thirty-five grand. Wow, he made it for like, and it's certainly the best Australian film I've seen this year. Wow. Okay. So it's it's still, you know, but it's an old school story.
0: Well, he says it's not just about the films being increasingly interesting, um, but also to the better conditions that the people now had for enjoying such entertainments. By judicious and humane legislation their hours Humane of, their hours of labour had been decreased and their wages increased. They had more money to spend and they had more time to spend it in. Naturally they had more enjoyment. And did this is true. Yeah, he means the workers. The yeah, means the workers. And yeah.
2: this is this is quite. Well,
0: the stars it's stars of the screen. It's <laughs> yeah. very hard to tell. Yeah, so people have more money, and so then and they've got more time, so they can go to the theater. And it's true yeah. because and at that time they tried to shut down the sweatshops, and there was a lot of big move to people working in factories. It yeah. Wasn't always actually a really good mm. thing for the workers because the factories weren't always very nice either. There was also a bit of a building boom as well, so people did have more money. and a bit more time, still lots of unemployment. But, yeah, on average, I think it was probably true because you can't, you know, go to the flicks if you don't have any time and you don't have any money. And he says, And the moving picture show provided wholesome enjoyment and was an undoubted educational force. In erecting such a palatial structure, the company had evidenced their belief in the potentialities of the district and if they provided the entertainments they promised the people of Richmond would not be lacking in support. Brackets, applause.
2: Wow. Loved that. Yeah.
0: (laughs) They loved that shit. (laughs) So the biggest disruption we've had recently is, well, we've got the cost of living crisis now, but before that we had COVID. And that really was not good for cinemas or uh, live performances. Yes. How's it going? Are people coming back? It's
1: interesting. I just did a long tour of my show, Double Feature, so Regional Arts Victoria funded. That went to both theatres and small halls. Audience numbers are down right. and confidence in all those venues is really down and some of the venues don't know what to do. They just can't get people to come back. I mean, there's a lot of competition too, the COVID meant that people accessed entertainment exclusively online and probably augmented the number of servers and streaming services mm. they've got. So it's increasingly difficult to get people out yeah. of their homes. And in the regions, there's, there's the tr- traditional, like I'm just about to do, head off on a tour this week, and there's three of the towns where um, it's harvest. Time. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. So they're going, if it pisses rain on the night, you'll be, will we'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. But if not, It'll probably just be the ladies and the kids. <laughs> yeah, good, good to know. It's like <laughs> how little has changed Yeah. The world. So that, yeah, <laughs> so it's not just COVID. I think in the cities it's probably changed. You know, like I mean, I've been to a lot of concerts this week and there's very little evidence.
0: So they were full, people they were out and about, yeah.
1: About it. But certainly for a time. And also COVID introduced, as I said, all these other streaming services and allowed people who can't go to the theatre opportunity to see things.
2: Yeah,
0: so it's mm. not it's not all bad. Like it definitely has Absolutely. made things much But I worse.
1: think right through that period I was cancelling tours and negotiating tours and we remounted the merger live show in the wake of the film. And So we got cancelled one year. We did it the next year but they wanted to film it so we actually got paid to film it so mm. that they had it as a backup. But then time by the time we did the tour, the tour happened and I was going, well, are you going to put it on that night like for people who can't mm. come? Yeah, the people, you know, and none of them did. Not a single. Oh, rude! And then not long after that, till we went into lockdown, and there was one venue that said, "Oh, can we have it for a night and put it mm. on?" They did it, and but I feel like the ball's been dropped a bit. Yeah. For, for accessibility.
0: <sighs> Learning, it doesn't always happen,
1: does it? No. I am reading that here in that article, though, like that was 1912, and how many technological changes have been since? Mm. That was just for silent films. Yeah. And I've just lent you a book called My Giddy Aunt about mm. the kind of vaudeville era, particularly from the female performance perspective. And they were constantly having to adjust what they did as the film world started to take over, like from the silence to the Absolutely. talkies. And I
0: think it's not so much the change that change is bad, it's, it's the way well, it's, it's always capitalism always tries yeah. <laughs> to. Like you're not getting paid from your Netflix.
1: Yeah. That's that
0: right. means if you were getting paid properly, for that, yeah. it would be like, oh, great, you know, it's changed. Yeah, great. We, we, yeah. People change what they do and it's And, like,
1: ev- and yeah. very few people on the outside, everyone would have a perception that happy days, Damo's films on Netflix. Yeah. And I'm not whinging. It should be different. I w- it should be different. It, yeah. You know, and just let me know when we're
0: chaining ourselves to something. Yeah. Or you're that okay. yeah we'll be there. Okay, now do you want to know what was on at the theatre on this, when the Globe was opening?
1: Uh, let's have a Christine and I are gonna have a guess of what the opening film. I'm gonna go with Rex and his dancing pancreas.
2: <laughs> oh, I liked that pancreas.
1: Yeah. Um, was huge at 1912, I know that.
2: Yeah. Uh, I'll go Doris and the haunted haystack. <laughs> well you're close. Yeah, I thought I might be. Yeah,
0: closer. It was yeah. George and the Dragon.
2: Oh. <gasps> oh, yeah, we
0: were, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah there's right. a bit of that was yeah, the star bit of picture. Of insight. For, yeah, the star picture for the first evening. On Tuesday evening, a splendid drama of Australian life was screened. In breaking the news, the picture was founded on the famous painting of the Australian artist John Longstaff, which hangs in the National Art Gallery. It proved a stirring production. The incidents of a miner's life being vividly depicted. That might be one of your relations.
1: Could be. Yeah. What's the dream? Do you want to
0: describe it again? Because you're good at that.
1: Yeah. I mean this is a black and white version, so I won't talk about the colors.: No, you can't, oh, yeah. it's, well, but you can a, just say black and white. The black and white. That. Yeah, it's an elderly gentleman of rather upright stance with a long white beard and his hands <laughs> are pressing onto the shoulders of a younger woman. they're looking kind of she's looking more loving than he. She is either holding a dead <laughs> sheep with no head <laughs> or a crocheted set of bagpipes. <laughs>
2: Mm, uh, it is hard
1: are in And they're in a kind of traditional kitchen of, I would say, the late 19th century with a wood fire stove. And there appears to be two men in the doorway that are carrying something that could be a body.
0: I think it is. And I think they've come to tell her that her husband is dead yeah, right. from the mines. And they're just oh. like assuming she's going to be yeah, sad. Right. Cheery stuff.
3: Cheery Actually, stuff. So Cheery.
0: Um, And there's another article that I wanted to read to you from the opening of The Globe and this one, I don't know, to me it's like, well, see, let me see how.
1: (laughs) We'll make up our own minds. Yeah, you
0: guys decide. Don't put your own lens on it. Richmond Guardian, Saturday 25th of May 1912, Globe Theatre. A prominent resident of South Richmond has a friend from the country who on on a visit to him... He has not been to Melbourne for many years and prior to a visit to the Globe Theatre on Thursday night, had little knowledge of the wonderful progress of the cinema art.
2: Mm.
1: So
0: these guys are bumpkin. Um, sure is. Now, you guys both grew up in the city.
1: Yeah. Mm. And
0: so I am a bumpkin. I yeah. grew up in the country. We have allowed you to ingratiate yourself with us. I am a bumpkin. I yes. know what it's like to come to town and be overwhelmed by escalators. Mm feel out of place and memorise the city grid as though that's going to protect you and no-one's going to be able to tell that you don't belong here. (laughs) Okay, so I am on the side of the bumpkin here. All right. right. Okay? The pair had seats in the dress circle, which is at the back of the theatre. They both appeared to enjoy the show immensely. The old man never lost his interest for a moment. When it was all over and the pair were proceeding homewards, the rich man died asked his friend, who is slightly deaf, his opinion of the entertainment. Well, replied the old man, there is no doubt about it. <laughs> they are great actors at that theatre and the plays were fine, but it's a pity we sat so far back. I could hardly hear what they said at all.
1: So so it was a film. Though. It
0: was a film and right, the bumpkin thought. Can thought was... He thought
2: it was live. Quick, Quick set changes.
0: I had a little look to see if maybe this was like an apocryphal story that people trotted out every time a theatre opened. Yeah, Um, it does
1: sound it, doesn't it?
0: But maybe it really did happen. Um, And it continues, There is no doubt about the realism of the globe pictures. They are something more than powerful. Now, recently I saw your recent film that you starred in, Damien, called uh, The Emu Wars. Oh, you did. Which was hilarious and I really, really loved it. I'm wondering what it's like to see yourself on the big screen. Because you were in the theatre as well, and yeah. and also, I mean, for context, there was some uh, some nudity in that film. <laughs>
3: yeah, was and
1: that
0: you, was, Damien? There was a sex scene,
1: uh, but it was
0: all part of the it's plot. A bit, it's it was a bit yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was.
1: It, it's deliberately blurred.
0: Yeah, it was part of the plot. It was um, very
2: tasty. I wouldn't have thought it
0: was. So yeah, it was I'm, not you're gratuitous. Being, no.
1: You're being very kind, Penny. Too. Well, look, some backstory on this film. It. It was filmed over a very long period because the pandemic kept uh, breaking up the process uh, and on a slight budget. It was Screen Australia funded and it was originally intended to be a web series and not a film at all. But such was has been the reception to it that they've now got film distribution. Oh, they out, are. I found out yesterday it's going to be released in May next year. <gasps>
0: You've got but to this, go, Christina. It's I'm going to go.
1: So the screening you're talking about was at Monster Fest, which yes. is essentially kind of horror and violent films. And it fits in that category, but it's more of a comedy. There's, there's violence in it because it's a, it's, Cause violence it's is a funny. war film. Well, it's funny in this context. <laughs> the, the reason they chose it, so I'm not a writer, I play...
0: Kind of the lead. I didn't oh, really know
1: I was the lead. You're until, in the
0: middle of the posters.
1: So. Yeah, I didn't. Well, the, the poster came out, and I'm the only one on the main poster. <laughs> I, yeah. This is before I found out it was a film. So, the, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it, that was an unusual process because in seeing myself on the screen because because it was so broken up and over a long period of time, I'd forgotten what we'd done. A lot of it and also there's a lot of improvisation in the film mm. so they let the cameras go and so i didn't know what they were going to use and what they weren't going yep. to use so it was genuinely a bit of a surprise i was watching it almost like the audience going
0: oh you hadn't seen it before no, that night oh my god it. i had
1: not seen a second of it so i was sitting there kind of discovering it with the audience wow. um and the reaction was quite over the top like like la- the laughter level we loved it it's pretty nuts it's it's all over the shop like it's <laughs> It's and the CGI hadn't quite been finished. They had a disaster with the guy yeah. doing it, and they had to replace it at the last minute. So that'll get fixed up to a point. It's kind of I mean, part of it. it's never cheesy, gonna, No, yeah. it's deliberately a bit not right. You know, it's legions of machine gun clad <laughs> emus running over a hill. You yeah, nice. um, know, and historically, over the, all over the shop, my character. You're the
0: only one who brought any historical.
1: Oh yeah, I'm the only character that exists in the real story. So (laughs) those who don't know the Emu War story in 1932, such was the plague proportions of Emus on the wheat belt of Western Australia. They called in the Australian military and they brought a guy called Major Meredith in who brought a company together of all World War I veterans and they approached it like it was the Battle of the Somme, but it was (laughs) summer in Western (laughs) Australia. Uh, They set up trenches and machine gun nests and and it didn't work. (laughs) It was a complete disaster. But there's no attempt in this to to tell that story. No. It's complete invention of, <laughs> and I, I love them. I looked I it up on Trove
0: afterwards. It didn't yeah, happen. Absolutely. Did not happen. Well, it happened, but not, not like not, that. Not,
1: not our version. Yeah, no. not that version. <laughs> and I love that they did that because it would have. And Jonathan Schuster, who was the original story idea generator. He just said he just said straight away people would just... Want, once, they, once you know what the basic story is, you'll get bored with it. So they've completely thrown a rule book out.
0: This is the last part of the article. This week, a splendid program is being screened and on Monday, another fine change of subjects is promised. The beauty show has attracted large entries and young ladies that own to prepossessing looks mm. are advised that the time for closing is almost at hand. Excellent. If you think you're hot.
2: Yeah, get on, on the stage. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the Globe Picture Theater did not just show films, it had other like I'm live performances, so pageants. Yeah, I'm and so glad. and that goes into the next article that we're going to read because it was actually in that time, it was pretty much 50-50 films and live shows in the same night. So you'd go along, there'd be live performers and they they'd show a bit of film. This is from the Argus on the 10th of February 1915. Trouble at the Globe: Comedian sues for wages. In the district court yesterday, Harry Hodenot, professional comedian, sued Henry Percival, manager of the Globe Picture Theatre, Richmond, to recover six pounds for wages for a week's appearances at the Globe Theatre. About right.
2: Yeah, six pounds.
0: It's seven hundred dollars. Yeah. Would you do that? Work for seven hundred dollars for the week? If it was, you probably have.
1: Yeah, it depends what the work is. It, it's kind of hard to describe to those who aren't doing it, but there's some work that you'd gladly do.
2: Well, I mean, you're here for, for a free. Week. Oh.
1: Yeah, and then that's there's gigs like this.
2: Yeah, where well you go, what no. the fuck am I doing?
1: <laughs> 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 but, you know, before I leave the library, there'll be some objects I'll take with me that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that will make it all. worthwhile. Yeah. I'm staring at a keyboard. Yeah, some of the yeah, recording. Rip- I don't even know how to that. play it.
2: We, but, don't, we haven't even right. used it, so yeah. <laughs> you'll find out its value on Marketplace.
1: It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, so that's a fair bit.
0: But he didn't get it. So the article continues. Sir Ridgway appeared for Hoddenot and Mr Blair for Percival. Hoddenot, the complainant, said that he had performed in England and South Africa and had been with the Brennan Fuller Circuit for two and a half years and for nine months with the Tivoli Theatre Management. After being engaged by Percival, he appeared at a Saturday matinee and at an evening performance at the Globe Theatre. His turns went good on each occasion. I love it when
2: your turn goes good.
0: <laughs> I had a good turn. In the evening, he sang two songs, which were encored, and made three bows to the audience.
2: <gasps> Imagine if you'd done a fourth.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so in your experience, Damien, do you think people, performers, are generally good at assessing how well their turns went, particularly comedians? I
1: think they are, but when you're trying to convince the judge <laughs> paid, you're, you're lens, you're a judge then your lens so, is yeah. quite different. That's why he's talking about how good he was in the past, mm. not on those particular nights. So he said it went good, but I don't know. I mean, it's very unusual to get an encore in comedy because mm. people have been... You've heard the you joke. Never get, I've, I've had some, but it's very rare to get a standing ovation mm. in comedy, even if people love the show. And the reason I reckon for that is people... Uh, emoting the whole time in comedy, mm. whereas in drama you you might watch something for an hour and 40 minutes and then there's just an eruption. Um, I
2: think that's why comedy can be one of the most confronting performances because if you watch a dance and it's crap, you'll still clap at the end yeah. and that dancer won't know that no one really liked it. But a comedian, if you're not actually mm. hearing some sort of response within the first five to ten seconds, well, yeah. it's pretty disastrous, isn't it? It is not yeah. it <laughs>
0: And that's why ever so often when someone does seem to not know that it hasn't gone well, it is particularly staggering.
2: (laughs) There's narcissists everywhere. Yeah, that's true. Do
1: you remember my show I did in 2009 called Is This Thing On? The Dave Barry Story?
2: I didn't see that.
1: So it was essentially a play exactly about this. It was about a tryout comedian who'd been going for nine years who had no ability to understand how shit he was okay. so anyway, i created this really likable character who was like running comedy rooms and just trying everything but he was no good and there was a german documentary filmmaker obsessed with schadenfreude who was <laughs> chroniclingly chronicling chronicling his life and but one thing led to another and he started to get famous right like, being rubbish yeah um the interesting thing about that, the show used to begin it was quite deconstructed i have like German industrial music by Faust playing in <laughs> slow motion to a spotlight. So he was not lit until the last minute and he finally got to the microphone. And it would have taken two and a half minutes of yeah. this kind of laboured, grotesque movement. And then I got to the microphone. G'day, how are you going? <laughs> and then, and then did five minutes of bad impro. And I
3: had
1: to I had to make it bad. To make yeah. The show work. But on some nights where people were in on the joke. The laughter was too yeah. good and so I had to develop this system to self-sabotage that if I got a laugh, I then explained to the audience why it was funny and <laughs> drive them back to silence.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: but if they weren't in on the joke, it was the most excruciating five minutes of my career but it had to be there to make the play work. Otherwise it would, yeah. yeah,
0: makes sense. And how in real life, how self-critical are you? I think
1: you have to be. Yeah, I guess, like I always, if a gig doesn't go well, I try and analyse it. Yeah, factor in the audience to a bit, but you can't blame them. You've got to work mm. out what it was. Particularly when you're doing new material and stuff, you go, oh, or you go at the end of it, you go, oh, I shouldn't start started with that. That's why they weren't, they weren't ready for that bit of material. Yeah, so I am, I am self-analytical mm. to work out why things didn't go as well as they could have.
0: Have you ever, because I can't imagine, because I think of you as a very, very successful person, but have you ever, do you ever want to give up? Like, how often do you think I want to give up? I can't, I don't want to do it anymore.
1: No, not even close. Really? Yeah. Look, there's part of me that wants to write more, but then I love performing too. Really do love the live thing. Mm. Having said that, I got through the pandemic reasonably well. I didn't, I wasn't like, oh God, I need to, I'm not one of those comedians that needs to have a fix. Of live performance, like when I go on holidays, I go on holidays. I don't think where can I do a gig. Yeah.
2: Oh my
0: God,
1: and that, Does I, anyone do that? Do people do that? Are so many people. <gasps> I, go, I might get it's up. So no. You know, oh, you going? Oh, people say, "Are oh, you going to Dublin? You're going to do gigs?" No, I'm there for a film festival. i doing. I don't. Yeah. I don't want to, ah. don't want to switch my brain into no. that thing as well. Yeah, but I don't. I don't ever think. What, what have I got myself into? Let's let's put an end to this. <laughs> yes. Let's, <laughs> uh, let's let's park it. Back to the classroom. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> naturally.
1: We,
2: we've got a few unfilled positions, Damien. <laughs> oh, if yeah, you're yeah, yeah. Or even a bit of CRT on the side. Yeah. Keep, keep your hand in. Christina's constantly recruiting. Constant. I always feel strength like I need strength. to have backup plans, just always.
0: What's your backup plan from now? Like well, I've done all sorts end. of
2: weird jobs. So oh, that's I, right. Know, I, I yeah. could go back to any at a moment's notice if I had to. Horse training. I'll go back to working at a racetrack or doing wine tastings. Those skills don't leave you, Penny. They're oh. there. They're there for life. Very I
0: calm. never came to visit you. No, I hate. I did know. I just that. say because you're both people who know. Do you you know about wine? You've,
1: you've done a show about, a about, it.
0: Show about yeah. it. Yeah. I That's hate I going to, to tastings. Way. I hate it. Why? I hate walking in the absolute silence. Someone ambles out and goes, "What do you want?" And then you have to taste it and have an opinion in front of them. Yeah. And then
2: I always slip in. I used to. Um, run a couple of saladors because then I still get the industry special yes. always. Like, oh, we don't usually get this out. No, I bet you don't, but I'm here now, no, so yeah. get it out. Nah, I'm just there in a flat panic going, what do I, What am I? My, ah. Well,
1: people I like shit. Christina can't. Horrible. We can't stand it, because I grew up going to doors. I, I like know it. i how to speak at once, mm. and I feel comfortable in them. And, um, and the more, and the more how, I, I taste. I know how to get that. Dad used to have this way of, he was very knowledgeable, but he wasn't one of those. There's a lot of people in Solidors who just want to show off what they know. Mm. But Dad would just mm. ask enough questions that they'd go, "You know what? Yeah. I'll open the Hill of Grace. Yeah, just,
2: it's just, coming he would, out."
1: Would, yeah. he just You've asked some
2: pertinent questions. Yeah. Whereas you're just, obviously smart. They're just getting out the orange juice for me. <laughs> yeah, they're like, "She's <laughs> a oh, Moscato." What drinker. do
0: you think of this?
1: And I'll, uh,
0: I won't, I won't say. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway.
1: You don't have to
0: go to them. I don't anymore. For a little <laughs> while I pretended it was a nice thing to do, like I thought it was something that I should like yeah. doing and so I went and then now so I So when just, your no, friend
2: no, used I, to do it and I wouldn't have made it hard for you, you still didn't come. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, well that's right, <laughs> I might, might have had, had a yeah. time. The, yeah but
1: we would two have people, made it the, the I the important to... people in your life. Yeah, yeah we would, would have, have, have helped you through would this. Would have
2: really held your hand.
0: All right. We're gonna carry on with Harry Hoddernot's story here. Okay. Percival came into his dressing room after the evening performance and said, I will not be able to keep you. You are unlucky. The night is very hot and this is the worst house I have had. Witness said he would have to sue him for wrongful dismissal. Percival replied, if you stand on your dig, you won't get anything. On the following Monday, Witness went to the theatre and offered his services, which is Beautiful, like after you've already been sacked, you just turn up on Monday.
2: Hi. I've seen that. When Percival told
0: him that he would not be required and offered him a guinea for the Saturday appearances. Only two days ago, witness had heard that his dismissal was for being under the influence of the
1: So what, a comedian was drinking?
0: Evidence was given by William Vance, caretaker of the Globe Theatre, that Hoddenot's turns went all right. In the evening, they went well. Okay, now we're getting to the other side. Henry Percival, the defendant, said that before the evening performance, he had occasion to put out a man who had come to assist Hoddernot to dress due to his being drunk. If you well, can't put yeah. your pants on, cancel the gig. Cancel
2: the gig, yes. yes. No one needs a pantless gig.
0: That's, a, that's like a standard rule, I think. The applause for Hoddernot's performance that evening was only half-hearted. And brackets laughter. I think that's in the court. He told Hoddanot not to appear in the second part of the programme. In his opinion, Hoddanot was under the influence of liquor. He was little better than his friend who was put out of the dressing rooms. Mr. Ridgeway, this is the lawyer acting for uh, Hoddanot. Is it not a fact that you, if you have a bad Saturday night, you are generally hard up during the rest of the week? Witness, not necessarily. What was Hoddenot's performance like? He did not sing at all. He bawled all through.
1: <laughs> they was yelling. Crying. Singing. Yeah. Yeah. All, yeah, all crying.
0: William Oyston, <laughs> pianist, said that Hoddenot performed very badly at the night entertainment. Oh. He was erratic. Mr Ridgway, but was there not a certain amount of hand clapping?
2: Wow. Was Why do we have to specify hand clapping? Was it
0: for him <laughs> or you? And then Oyston says, it was not genuine applause. They must be very easy to please down your way. And Oyston says, they stamp their feet after every turn. Do people yeah. still ever, is there much foot stamping? Yeah,
1: particularly in those. A wooden uh, hall. Bleachers in circus tents. You know, yeah.
0: A bit of that. H Fry, doorkeeper, said that in his opinion, hot and hot singing was a disgrace. He thought he was under the influence of liquor and heard people passing remarks going through the door. He's, <laughs> <laughs> He's pissed. Pissed.
1: <laughs>
0: Mr. Goldsmith, PM, said that a majority of the bench considered the claim could not succeed. They were not convinced that Hottonot was drunk, but it was evident that he had not done his work in a way that could have prevented the manager from complaining. There was justification for the manager's action. The claim would be dismissed. So Hottonot did not get his money because it does sound like he was, yeah. Shit.
1: was shit. Yeah. 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 And I think that's a reasonable judgment, to be honest. Yeah. Like, we can't definitively say. Whether he was. You were mm. drunk, but we can definitively say you were shit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right.
0: <laughs> so it could have been a number of reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the arts industry is notoriously insecure, but have you ever got the sack?
1: I was thinking about this. I don't know if it's the sack is the right word, but Lawrence and I were asked to do... There was a TV show happening on the Comedy Channel and we we were kind of at the peak of our duo stuff. We we, we did stuff separately, but we were doing, we did like four comedy festivals mm-hmm. over five years and we were doing tri- Triple J together. We got asked, it was really Lawrence was the host and I was the second banana, if you like. So it felt like it was more t- to do with him, but they went, oh, this is perfect because they used to working together. The show was called The Big Schmooze. My v- memories of... Foggy, but we essentially were given it. We said, That's, it's yours, you're doing it. And we, yeah. were, we were, like, days away from going in to make, I assume it would have been the pilot, then the agents, there was, you know, there's always a bit of noise stuff. It's either noise or silence. And mm. you, you yeah. Know. Anyway, someone in a higher-up said, no way in the world. And all of a sudden, we were out before we'd even started. And Matt Hardy and Kate Lambrook did the show. Right. Okay. A season, maybe two seasons. Yeah. Like a tonight okay. Show yeah. Yeah. Sort of thing. Mm. I don't really have much memory of it. So that was kind of. It felt like we got sacked, but we hadn't. You know. <laughs> yeah. We hadn't actually done it Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: that was um, coming.
1: So yeah, I've had more of those experiences of thinking that you've got something and then didn't happen.
0: Now I reckon and you would have been <laughs> well, really good in we the world ball era. Do you
2: feel that? Yeah. Can you oh, see? Nice.
1: No. Can you, I could dance. i I've, I've kind but of, could you do
2: what I call can you character sing? I reckon I can you could poke, character yeah. sing.
1: I, yeah, um I call it dickhead bravado. Yeah. And character sing is about right. Yeah. We've, yeah. We've, we've You'll be wow. fine. I've,
0: That's the way to be a comedian at the time. So yeah. I reckon you would have
1: Well, I think I would have ticked all the boxes like character yeah. a lot of clowning. Um Your love of Lederhosen. Lederhosen. Yeah. Yeah. Love an accent. Yeah. So I think yeah. I would have ticked a lot of the boxes and I would have learnt Oh, the dancing would have been fine. I would have just picked yeah. it
2: up. I think it would be, be great.
1: I reckon I would have been all right. Maybe that's the next show I should do. I should I think, do a vaudeville
2: show. I think so.
1: Yeah. The Absolutely. industry's
0: calling out for get it. A, yeah. ca- get in a cannon. I'll do
1: the life story of Harry Hoddenot.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what happened next? He mo- Well, I think he went to war. the war. Oh. I'm not 100% sure because there's a couple of different Hoddenots and i Honestly, Harry I decided to keep track. I didn't. It was was a bit of a tension. Yeah. This is the problem that I had. Let's follow with this. Percival's story. And I'm space. like, was meant to be focusing on Richmond, the Richmond <laughs> the side the head head of the head Richmond head Library, off. and then I'm obsessed with this guy and whether it's the right Harry Hodnot going to war. So I had to drop that, but I think he probably did go to the war, and I, then I think he went to Broken Hill. Do
1: you know um, how he died though. How he got up in a parapet and took three bows.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, nice.
1: It was the third yeah. bow that killed yeah. him.
0: Yeah. Uh, so have you have you been to Broken Hill much?
1: I have, yeah. I did the Company Festival Roadshow there a couple of times, mm, Not for a while. Nice. Because
0: but... um, he wrote basically what was at one time almost a theme song for Broken Hill because he wrote it for the 1933 Broken Hill Jubilee and it was called We're Going Back, Back Again to Broken Hill. <laughs> now we're going on a tangent. My friend, Tim Carruthers, and I are going to have a bit of a conversation about... Harry Hoddenot's music, and also about our music camp in Broken Hill in Year 10. It makes sense. We're going back, back again to Broken Hill that was composed by...
3: Harry Hoddenot.
0: Found the sheet music in Trove. Oh, right. Do, do, do you
3: know if, if Hoddenot wrote a whole bunch of, of pop music at <sighs> the time? Or? Uh,
0: not that I could find, and I don't think so. This one became a bit of an anthem for Broken Hill for a while. But there was a competition for their jubilee and another song won and there were articles in the paper that said, this is wrong, it should have been Harry Hoddernot's song, everyone loves we're going back, back to Broken Hill again.
3: It was robbed. I had to transcribe the, the music and I didn't want to have a version with a bunch of mistakes in it. So this is the actual written music played by a computer. I was saying before, I played in sort of old-timey jazz bands playing, you know, pop music from the, the teens and 20s and 30s. I'm not a musicologist, but it sounds to me more like a 20s-ish kind of song than a, than a 30s-ish one. It yeah. definitely sounds a little bit old-fashioned.
0: But he probably, maybe he was going for that because it's like we're going, it's a nostalgia thing.
3: Yeah, 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 quite likely. The the sheet music is, is interesting because it, it sort of looks like it's been handwritten, but then it's clearly got like a bunch of lyrics, you know, printed on it as well but it's it's not it's not that kind of professional sheet music that that, that, you, that you see even from like you know cuz you see you see music that's that was printed in the 1930s and someone has you know used proper like hot lead printing to to make it look all neat and night. Nice. and this is clearly someone's drawn it
0: probably mainly for broken hill people well yeah
3: i guess so it would be really fascinating to know like how well did this sell like was this on everyone's home piano and they were you know you know how we have music charts for like sales of recorded music from what I've read, that came out of originally charts for sales of sheet music.
0: Yeah, because, I think that's right. Yeah,
3: because before recorded music was the thing in the late 1800s, you started having sheet music being the big way that music was distributed.
0: The other reason why this song particularly appealed to me and asking you to do it is because we have actually been to Broken Tent
3: together. <laughs> we have, for a musical event, no less. Yeah, yeah that's
0: right. We were in the, the Castle Main Secretary College Orchestra in 1997 they went on a tour of the outback, mm-hmm. which was basically just kind of rural areas of New South Wales.
3: I, I would be fascinated to know, like, whose idea that was to to take the like all the students from the high school on a a music camp that would drive around the <laughs> middle of outback New South Wales. I, I presume
0: it was Louise Ray and Dale, but how did they have that idea? Did they know someone in one of those towns or something?
3: I have no idea. They, they clearly had some concerts lined up because we went and we we played like a, a proper concert in some yeah to before. seven people. <laughs> there was more than seven, I'm sure.
0: Well, um, I some were better than others.
3: Yeah, there, there there were a few. There were sort of concerts every every day or or two, as I remember. I mainly remember there was one where the power kept going out every yes. every minute, but of course we were playing acoustic instruments, so it was it was fine.
0: Do, what do you remember about Broken Hill?
3: Um, I remember uh, I remember all the desert landscape surrounding it being like genuinely you know, very pretty and picturesque and really interesting to see because I'd never been into the desert before. The town itself is just a bit weird and has a bit of a weird vibe. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if we were yeah, the best I'm people mid- to judge. We were just teenagers and we'd spent all of our childhood in a similarly strange country town, but it was not strange in the same way.
0: Yeah, that's right. And I, I remember the pool. Mm. I think the pool was it. there was probably more than one pool, but I think at Broken Hill there was a pretty nice pool. And we'd all go in in the afternoon and scream. Um, <laughs> it must have been just a joy to have us there. You were playing percussion, weren't
3: you? I, was, I played percussion in the orchestra. There was also the, the concert band that I played saxophone in. And then there was also a little jazz group that I played piano in. So
0: oh, that's right. You were one of the stars. No, no. But you got to play for School of the Air.
3: Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, I'd forgotten about that until you mentioned it. That was interesting, yeah.
0: That was really fun. And hearing all the kids' voices come on, they were really crackly mm. and they could understand each other. <laughs> I was like, I can't understand a word of this.
3: No, it was interesting. I mean, clearly it was it was a a really memorable, well-done music camp because there were a whole bunch of things like that School of the Air thing and the concerts we did that were really memorable and interesting. There are so many, like, other school excursions I went on that I can't remember at all, but that one...
0: There is a reason, though, why I think we might remember this. More clearly than other camps, there it was video recorded. Yes, by the chaplain.
3: Yeah, that's right.
0: And he made an extremely tedious video of it with a lot of detail, but there were some like (laughs) gem some gem moments. Good moments in it. Yes,
3: yes. I was
0: about three hours too long. (laughs) (laughs) And then didn't we have like a night where we all got together and? Watched it?
3: Yeah, yeah. It got it got sort of edited and put together and then there was a sort of... It wasn't edited it not. It, it, it wasn't edited. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a video that everyone sort of was really happy had been made because it, <laughs> there were a whole bunch of, you know, stupid teenagers doing stupid things in it.
0: Got to um, digitise it so that we can capture those moments. I'm not in it much because I was very shy and quiet and just sitting in the background. It was it a was good trip. And I remember at the end of the video, he said, oh, we're all packing up on our last day. Like you spend all day with people, getting to know them, sharing everything together, and then suddenly it's over. I suppose life's like that. (laughs) Very deep. People, I always think about it, like whenever I'm feeling sad about something coming to an end, I'm like, well, I suppose life's like that.
3: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's good. I I can't think of any other school camp I went on that had an accompanying video, anything like that. It has stood the test of time.
0: I think there's one It's me and my sister yelling at you. I'm hardly in it except for when you came up and said, we've already put our tent on. And me and Georgina say in perfect unison, you started first.
3: (laughs) I can only apologise for being so... Oh, wow. I I think we were being a bit bossy as well. The, uh, it's funny the things you remember and the things you forget.
0: <laughs> Even though I was always terrified, obviously, playing the clarinet, absolutely terrified, overall, camp was fun. <laughs> <laughs> All
3: right, although I did, I, I oh, did find... Oh, one more thing about uh, Broken Hill. Uh, I, I found the lyrics to the, to the whole song. We'll have to, I think, maybe at the end play it again and then we can sing along the whole thing. I think that's it. <laughs> to I'm
0: get... not a good singer, Tim. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I was going to say the other thing about the about the Broken Hill song, which isn't... R- fully captured by the, by that sort of pianola recording that I made mm. is is that it's supposed to have a sort of a like a jaunty intro and then a slow verse and then it picks up speed again for the chorus. So it's that very classic sort of drinking song mode of being like yeah. exactly, as so, you know.
0: Um... No, I am good at singing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tim. And now we are going back back again to Christina and Damien in the Richmond Library where we're still talking about Broadway broad performer Harry Hodnot and I'm still trying to draw tenuous links to Damien's career.
2: I've got a photo I of really, him. I really, really thought he'd have a moustache.
0: Yeah, he just looks like a pretty ordinary chap, I'd say. Yeah,
2: yeah he looks quite hey, tanned. Then. Even though he's in black and white, I feel he's tanned.
0: I think he is. Well, he's been living in Broken Hill for a while and I actually know quite a bit about what he did once because there were quite a few articles about him. Do you want to hear what he got up to in Broken Hill? What did he do? In 1919, he was involved in a fracker at a pie store. (laughs) (laughs) He got
2: punched. That's great. (laughs) He was passionate about pies and pastries. I think
0: it was actually an argument about pay. and.
1: That's the title of the show. Yeah. (laughs) Fracker at a (laughs) pie store.
0: Yeah. And in 1924... He was charged for assault after squirting a joke ring in someone's face at a pub.
2: A joke ring?
1: Yeah. <laughs> me to... Sounds like a pest. That he really... sounds like he's really yeah. Always on. Yeah. Come exactly. on, mate.
0: And then in
2: 1933...
0: He you know settle down. <laughs> exactly. A, I've got to put it in context. In 1933, he visited his dad, who he hadn't seen for 16 years. Oh, his dad was a concertina player. So that's like the family, of yeah. all performers. The article on the visit to his dad, because this is the olden days, you go and visit your dad, it ends up in the paper. And it said that he had most recently been performing at the Royal Show in Sydney where he was introducing the Unsinkable Lady. Now, Harry Hoddenot actually discovered the Unsinkable Lady. He found her floating in a river.
2: Well, you'd hope so. <laughs> in Glen Innes. Yeah.
1: Alive? Yeah. He floating. Just, he just kept poking her with <laughs> Yeah. She kept bobbing up. Yeah. She's, no, she's definitely unsinkable. Yeah, unthinkable. <laughs> let's, let's do a show together.
0: Yeah, and then in 1937 the town held a fundraiser for him because he needed treatment for an illness and then he went off to Sydney to yeah. get treatment and I don't know what happened to him next. He's not still on the circuit though. No, I'm I don't
1: involved. think so. Yeah, he's not. <laughs> well,
2: I think he did a fringe show a couple of years ago. He <laughs> yeah, might have. Yeah, small venue.
1: Yeah. That was the, um...
2: the owl and the pussycat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, and uh, hang on. I'm going to say one more thing about him because I don't really want to mention this, but in this era, but I feel like also I don't want to not mention it, yeah. in this era this was very, very common. Um, he also produced and starred in a Gollywog show.
1: Good. Almost all of those performers. Like mm. if you read through that, Mikey yeah. the Hunt, Minstrelsy was massive. At the turn of the century, Minstrelsy was the most – Common form of performance yeah. across the world from like 18, 1880 to 1910. Yeah. I did a whole of research for my show swing dance about, oh. about that year and because mm. that's where swing dancing came from. Came from the cakewalk and all that was um, plantation the workers on their days off used to perform to their plantation owners on their lawns, and they'd dress up and basically mock them and put on their finery or the costumery mm. of the you know European style yeah. landowners, and they used to make up dancers mocking their dance style. And that's what the cakewalk was.
2: Yeah.
0: Ah. And then that
1: evolved into their own dance that then minstrels used to copy. And right, blackface. so then it got And there was a bizarre around. period where that started and Minstrelsy was so big but they realised that the Afro-Americans were better at it and there was a period where there were people who were blackface, whiteface, blackface. Mm. So on stage doing it and so like to try and fool the people that they were actually white but they were actually black performers.
0: Wow, okay. That's that is so complicated. complicated. Yeah, it's so yeah. complicated. That's complicated. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't want to not mention it, but also it's not fun. No, it's not fun
2: at all. It's not fun, but And
0: it's... but it happened, and, mm-hmm. and I also don't want it being like, oh, he was just a fun guy who squirted. Things
2: he was yeah. probably also pretty racist. He was
0: also um, like,
1: poking a one with a stick in the river. Yeah, get yeah. sink. He was, to her to sink.
2: She was she dead was. and uh, ascertained she was not yeah. yeah. sinkable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> didn't jump in and say yeah. that no. I no. wonder how many people she he tried that with where it had failed. <laughs> nah, sinker. Nah, she's gone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Gwen's, Gwen's at the bottom of the Murray yeah.
2: Didn't pop up again.
1: Frank Pam in.
2: Yeah, held her down for no, five minutes. Right. <laughs> nah, didn't resurface. <laughs> yeah. That was his own scientific yeah. Yeah. experiment.
1: <laughs> I think we had to learn that he did blackface to know that he wasn't, <laughs> wasn't properly. <laughs>
0: when he's spraying people. I thought you guys might be more on his side,
2: but nah. Oh, sounds
0: like I a don't know.
1: Yeah, no. It's, it sounds like the kind of person you'd avoid in a green room.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You see him yeah. there and you're like, oh, I might just wait outside. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Want to lift home. Yeah. He, didn't leave, he wasn't on the way. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Okay,
0: so the last article I wanted to share with you is very cute. I think it's cute. All right. And because remember, this is the reason why we're talking about all of this is because where we are now, this very site used to be the Globe Picture Theatre. Yes. And we're reading oldie newspapers. So this is from The Age, from Monday, 7th of August, 1939. Newspaper published 101 years ago. This copy of Melbourne's first newspaper, the second issue of the Melbourne Advertiser, dated January 8th, 1838, was found last week during the remodelling of the new Globe Theatre, Church Street, Richmond. Sorry, 1938, they found an old newspaper and they were very excited and they looked back on it and thought about what people did in the olden days. <laughs> The discovery was made by a carpenter who was repairing a floor and the paper was found inside a tin box, enclosed in another tin box. The advertiser was published by John Pascoe Faulkner and was written for him by hand. The paper consists of a single small sheet folded into, and its reading matter is made up mostly of advertisements, the principal news item being an account of the murder of a police constable relegated to the back page.
1: The back page of a two-page.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm disappointing.
1: like, probably the easiest yeah, place right. to find it.
0: They people have always been interested in old newspapers.
1: Yeah, I like that. it's handwritten.
0: Yeah. So, what are you hoping, Damien, in hundred years, hmm. someone finds a newspaper article about you? Which one would you hope? They're going to. It's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, we're going to read out like we're reading out about Harry Hot If people yeah, are going to be right. assessing. Yeah, did one? we want to be friends with Damien Cullinan? So, oh, no,
1: there's nothing too bad out there. I do recall, I haven't looked at it for a while, but on Wikipedia, there's an entry. It's kind of weird what gets picked up, but there was a whole thing on my show, The Lost World War One Diary, which is mm. one of my most successful shows and was pretty widely reviewed well, but it just picked up a bad quote from the age <laughs> out of context. And in a review that wasn't too bad, it wasn't the best review, but it was just like the criticism. It's like, and so that's the only thing yeah. that, says, that is said about that show on yeah. Wikipedia That's frustrating. And I
0: think that is that's one of the things that you have to keep when you're doing this sort of thing, you have to always be aware of that you're only getting like the snippet and you're trying to read stuff into it, but there's it's very selective Mm. what ends up in the paper and then what we're able to find.
1: I did I was trying to think of what I tried to think of what the first thing ever written about me as a performer was. I don't know if it is the first, but the first review I ever got was the show I did with Lawrence. And the review was in Beat, I think it was. Oh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, how how we used to scramble for the copies of Beat <laughs> during festival yeah. season.
1: Anyway, it was it was a incredibly generous and overwritten and verbose review, but very complimentary, written by David Lindley. David Lindley, Lindley is his middle name. His surname is Callanan. It was my nephew.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and this wasn't solicited, he just decided to yeah. write it and that's his that's style. Great. Like he's out, his Facebook posts is like, why well, use four words when you can use 200? Um, <laughs> yeah. Hope you're listening, Dave. We still laugh about the fact that that was my first review and people go, oh, that's, man, that's – Yeah, he must be. He must, he be, he must be all
3: right.
1: <laughs> don't know what else. No. Maybe I'll plant something. Yeah, write do something a under plant. A sh- under a pseudonym that, yeah. <laughs> that talks about me. <laughs> 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 Damien Cullen and the unsinkable woman.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we tried, but Hail. God damn it, he didn't yeah. think.
1: I think there'd be, like, Facebook posts or messages and stuff like that that I'd like people to find that, you know, mm. people write you really lovely things. Mm. I
0: mean, we've just got to hope that the digital archives are able to survive. Yeah. It's very possible that, you know, actually paper and books and stuff will last longer. But anyway, thank you so much, Damien, for coming and talking to us. Thanks, Damien. About this site that we're on. Isn't that great? The Richmond Library that used to be the Globe Picture Theatre.
1: For those who are interested in... Where these theatres went, there's a fantastic film called The Lost, lost mm-hmm. City of Melbourne by Gus Berger, who runs oh, the wow. Thornbury Picture House, and he's just released a picture book version of it. And oh, wow. it's a particularly focused on seven cinemas, but yeah, to see, but also to see what we've saved, but mm. yeah. to see what we've lost as well. It's a fantastic. I think you can watch it, see it on SBS. Yeah,
0: because when they um, knocked down the Globe Picture Theatre, there wasn't really much, I don't think there was much of a campaign to save the Picture Theatre, but there was a campaign to save the South. Richmond Library, which was next door, but neither of them got saved. They knocked them both down. Cool. Thank you.
3: Thanks for having me.
2: Thank you. We're
0: going
3: back. We're going
0: back. We're going back.
3: That was that was excellent. <laughs> it was really
0: good, wasn't it?
3: That was that was. Did we sound just like a couple of Broken Hill miners in a pub in 1930 something. Absolutely. It's a great song.
0: I think it is, and I can see why the people of Broken Hill liked it. Next time on In Those Days, we talk to Richmond Brass Band Leader Adam Arnold about how and why he's reviving the youth brass bands of Richmond.
1: It's, it's a great thing to be able to do, to sit down and play piano, mm. but as a kid, there aren't that many opportunities to play piano with other kids.
2: No, you don't no. all
1: gather your it's...
0: piano's in a circle.
1: No, <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> and we also talked to one of Adam's students, Scarlett O'Healer. What made you initially want to join the bass band? My friends were in it.